HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Heritage Radio Network on Tour. I'm Eli Sussman, host of The Line. We're broadcasting live from Charleston. And sitting next to me is the wonderful Amy Mills. Hello. In from Southern Illinois. The barbecue boss. (laughs) So many different facets of your operation that we're going to cover today. Uh, There are perhaps more moving pieces to your business than anyone else's business that I've spoken to in quite some time. So let's just start with how it started. Can you tell the story about your dad? Um, Was he born in Southern Illinois? How did he end up there? And uh, what type of barbecue is 17th Street known for? Absolutely. So my dad was born in Cape Girardeau, Missouri, which is just about an hour from Murfreesboro, um, just on the other side of the Mississippi River. And he moved to Murfreesboro at six months. My uh, grandfather and grandmother had five children. They moved to Murfreesboro. My grandfather was a traveling salesman for the Palmolive Peat Company. So he traveled all over southern Illinois and southeast Missouri selling soap suds and cigarettes Mm -hmm. to little family grocery stores. But on the weekends, he barbecued. And at night, if he was home, he barbecued. And all the neighbors would bring him meat. He had a family barbecue sauce recipe that he made. And when they went camping or any time he saw... He had a few days time off, he would be barbecuing and people would be walking down the road with meat for him to barbecue theirs as well. And his dream was to quit his job and open a barbecue restaurant and bottle our sauce. However, he died when my dad was just seven. And my dad likes to say he woke up, his earliest memories are waking up to the smell of smoke. And his job when he was really little was to gather all the wood for the fire. And he took him a long time to figure out that his dad put the wood a long way away. And he built him a little wheelbarrow and he kept him very busy ferrying that wood to and fro. So when my grandfather died, there were three children still at home. There was quite an age span between the five children. And my grandmother would make barbecue sauce and sell it to neighbors and friends Um, as one way to make money after her husband died. My two older uncles actually had a barbecue stand at the Cape Girardeau pool before they all moved over to Murfreesboro. So barbecue's been in my family for a long time. Yeah, everybody's been barbecuing for for four generations (laughs) back. They have. They... 
my dad made barbecue pits out of 55 gallon barrel drums when he was in high school to make, again, to make money, super industrious. And he was a dental technician by trade, but he would barbecue for other people. And, you know, class reunions or anybody who wanted him to barbecue, he was always barbecuing something for somebody. He had a bar that was sort of his hobby at night and in the mornings. His friends would meet for coffee in the morning and then they'd meet up for a beer after work. And on the weekends, he would have fish fries and barbecues, and he would give the food away in order to get people to buy more liquor. Mike knows how to party. He does know how to party. Then in 1985, he bought a bar called Allen Ray's. And at this bar, um, we are the fourth owners of it. It started out as Ellis Tavern in the early part of the 1900s. And since the beginning, there has been a barbecue sandwich and a hamburger served in this bar. But until we bought it, women and children didn't come into the bar. So there's a drive-through that still exists today. You can pull up, ring a doorbell, and someone will come to a window. There's no menu posted. You just have to know what you want. But you could, when I was little, you could pull up there and take home bags of barbecue or hamburgers. And my dad bought that bar, but he made it into a restaurant. So now families can come there. And obviously, we've added quite a bit to the menu. But we have been in operation there since 1985. And so barbecue is really about type of wood, time, uh, sometimes a rub, sometimes a cure, sometimes nothing, just the, the meat and the smoke. So if you can, without spilling all the secrets, what type of meat is the primary 7th Street barbecue? Like what's the, the real, what do people come for? And if you can let us know what type of wood you use and is it just a salt pepper rub? What's the style? Okay. So we are known for pork. We um, really, our reputation was made on my dad's wins at Memphis in May. He's the first person above the Mason-Dixon line to win world grand champion at Memphis in May. And he won that three times. And he won first place ribs four times there. And he got the first perfect score ever. So that really set him on this trajectory um, of getting a lot of national attention for our barbecue. The secret to our barbecue is our dry rub, which is called Magic Dust, and it is magical. We use apple wood, and again, that was really, it's, you know, the best wood for barbecue is, what, is the wood you have locally. It's very indigenous, and it's funny to me now that people will go to New York and open a Texas barbecue restaurant and import wood, when really, like, the whole thing about barbecue is that it was all what was right there for you. And I'm not knocking anyone who does that, of course. But we are surrounded by apple orchards in southern Illinois. And so we were getting all this apple wood for free. And that became part of the shtick and kind of the story to tell at Memphis in May. Because part of the judging there is on site. And you're actually speaking to judges. And so that was part of our story. We're from Apple City and we use this apple wood and, um, you know, sprinkled with magic dust and cooked with love. So pork ribs, uh, baby back ribs specifically, are really our trademark. But people really come now for pork steaks, which is a very unusual cut of meat. It's a steak cut from the butt end of a shoulder, and we smoke it. We sort of reverse sear it. We smoke it first, and then we finish it off on the grill. So we, our menu is large. We have killer chicken wings. We do brisket, not like John Lewis does brisket here in Charleston, of course, but um, you know, we've covered all the barbecue meats, but definitely pork is our thing. And we also cook a whole hog once a week and actually bring it right into the restaurant. And the guests can see us pulling the hog and making sandwiches from that. 
So your dad obviously got involved young. He had a wheelbarrow. He got put to work. He did. What about you? Did you rebel and say, I don't really want to be a part of this barbecue thing? Were you super into it from a young age? Obviously, you're running the show now. So you've been pulled back in. I know you spent some time in, in Boston and later on in your life. But as a kid, were you into it? Did it seem cool no. that your family did barbecue? No, it did not seem cool. I love, I love the food and I love the sauce, but I ran far and fast. I went away to journalism school at the University of Missouri and I worked in advertising, marketing and PR and had a very big and different life elsewhere. But that pull of home always comes. You know, I lived in Dallas very briefly after college and I ate barbecue all over that city. And this was really a time before Dallas had any barbecue to speak of. And I'd be so excited when I found some place and it just did not taste like home. You know, and that's what you are thinking of. Barbecue is really a touch. It's a memory. It's a sense memory, taste memory. And when you grow up with it, any other barbecue that you eat, you're really measuring against that. So there can be lots of great barbecue out there. And we know if someone says to us, you know, this barbecue is good. It's not as good as my favorite barbecue or what I fix in my backyard, but it's good. Like we feel like we've won, because if you can come in second or third to someone's taste memory, then you're doing okay. A restaurant, you know, back in the day, it used to just be, it's a physical box, you have to come, you have to eat it there, right? But your business has really grown in a lot of dramatic, very variable ways where you've kind of looked for a lot of different business opportunities to to grow and get your food in front of more people. So there's going to food festivals, of course, but also you have a pretty sprawling catering operation, which I'd love for you to talk a little bit about how that came to be, either out of necessity or want. And then after that, let's talk a little bit about um, the warehouse that you've turned into a co-packing facility where you're doing um, your, your sauces and where you're now creating a whole nother facet of your business. So catering first, how did that come sure. about? Sure. Well, catering is really a natural extension of any restaurant and you can do quite a bit of catering without adding very much staff to your restaurant at all. And we really consider catering um, any large order that goes out to an office or to a party, as well as the type of catering where we roll up with our vehicle and our pit and we put on a big show for people. Uh, we also do have this facility that was a store my uncle owned. Um, it went out of business. We bought the this big behemoth that's half of a block. It's really quite 30, large, 30,000 square, 30, square feet. And a we have- of, That's a lot of space. It's a lot of space, too, too much space maybe we filled it up. But we have two event rooms in there and a catering kitchen. And those rooms are really used all the time. We have a large room that's class reunions, weddings, big parties, but a smaller room that just holds about 80 people that is probably used four or five times a week. We have all kinds of sales meetings there. People have baby showers, bridal showers, um, celebrations of life after funerals. The Kiwanis meet there every week. It's just a... It's just a thriving um, place. And really, I mean, that's kind of what barbecue is. It's a community gathering place. And so we've just created that space right across the street from us so even larger groups can be there. And then the, the packaging, just obviously your, your sauces were being made. They were selling and you wanted to kind of 
bring it all back in house. So uh, now you're you're doing uh, the manufacturing and well, the bottling on site. Well, we're building the facility to do that okay. around the corner. So we're going to have another giant 8,000 square foot facility where we'll co-pack for other people and pack our own sauces and dry rubs because those are being sold now coast to coast and even in a few other countries. Uh, would you describe it as just you're an aggressive business person or is this something that you feel like you need to do in order for the business to continue being successful? Um, because some folks would just, you know, be content with the restaurant and maybe outsource their sauce, but it seems like you want to have everything at your headquarters. You want to have kind of like a compound where you do everything. It's a lot of work, right? It um, is a lot what of are the, work. Why and, and what are the payoffs? Well, so we did outsource the sauce and that didn't go so well. So it just doesn't taste the same after somebody makes two or three alterations to it. And we really wanted to have control of that. And therefore, we want to be a co-packer that knows the bad side of co-packing. And we want to be the co-packer people love. Um, I don't want to have any more restaurants. We have two restaurants and we have this whole big facility. We do have a consulting arm of our company as well. But it's, it's sort of change or die. And, and you have to keep incrementally growing or else you go backwards. We are in a town of 7,000 people and half of our business comes and each restaurant comes from people who are out of town, out of state or out of the country, four or five different states or countries a day, which is really amazing. We are in the middle of nowhere. We are three hours north of Nashville, two and a half, two hours southeast of St. Louis, six and a half hours south of Chicago. So people are seeking us out and we want people to continue to do that and we want to give them a reason to do that. So the the co-packing facility really seemed like another business opportunity and a way to not have another restaurant because restaurants are tough and then you have to give up a piece of your pie when another restaurant comes into your area. If no more people are coming, just if that restaurant's going to be successful, some of your people are going to that place. So we are trying to do something a little bit different to generate revenue versus another restaurant. We've talked a lot about how it's a family business and how, uh, you know, that's just, it's really in your family's blood, barbecuing. But you really, you did create a different life for yourself and, and now you've come back. So uh, is there sometimes tension and, and sort of um, maybe some, a little bit of, uh, of hope that you're going to be able to set this up and, and be able to take a step back again? Or do you think that you've really dug in again and you're really fully in it for the I, rest of your life? <laughs> I've dug in and I'm in it. Uh -huh. And that's okay. Even when I was living away in Boston, for the last 20 years of that, I was still working for 17th Street. Mm -hmm. In the early part of that, I did some other things as well. But as that business grew and the demand for what we were doing grew, I, just can, I worked from home doing marketing, advertising, PR, flying off to different festivals or different events where my family and where the business was going to be. And I spent a lot of time back in Southern Illinois. Now I'm just spending 98% of my time in Southern Illinois. And, you know, I'm really, I'm proud to go back there. I, I still have my home in Boston, so I feel that if I needed to get away, I could go there. Um, I haven't been able to do that too much in the past few years, but there's something, our little town is really undergoing a renaissance. And this building that we're renovating on the main street is really going to be a showpiece. And I'm really, I'm proud of that. And I'm proud of the fact that 
Whenever we get good press, we always talk about Southern Illinois. We want people to come there and visit. So when they come to eat at our restaurant, they might also visit the wine trail that's near us, or they go to some of the great breweries that are right around the corner. Um, we have a real little ecosystem of tourism there, and I'm proud that we're bringing people in. I'm proud that we're contributing to the economy. And we have, you know, at any given time, like 92 to 106 employees. And that is a huge responsibility, especially in a yeah. tiny town. We are one of the larger employers, and some people have been with us for 20 plus years, which is That's impressive great. in the restaurant world. 100%. And then we have people who go to SIU, which is the school, the college in the a neighboring town, and they might be on the four to six year plan, and they are with us during their school years. But so many people love to hire people who worked at 17th Street. I'm really proud of the um, leadership skills we help them acquire and the both personal and professional development that we have for them. So I always want someone, I know that we're, I always tell them we're grooming you for your next job. You may not be here with us forever, but while you're here, you're part of the family. You're always part of the family. But I want people to think, be excited like, oh my gosh, I get to hire someone from 17th Street. What does the barbecue consultancy look like? You have uh, been able to parlay the, the success of 17th Street, and you make a lot of TV appearances. You do a lot of judging. So you're out there visually as, as an expert. Um, what exactly does the consultancy, how does it go beyond you just kind of uh, coming in and maybe tweaking what somebody does and, and putting that your own little magic dust on it? What does it take to really be a restaurant consultant in the barbecue field? Well, that has been a really interesting journey for sure. So in April 2009, we started offering these barbecue classes. And that came because people would just show up and they would want to sit at the foot of the master and talk barbecue. And my dad is the most generous person in the world. He will sit and talk all day long, often to the detriment of our own business and give you all the advice and anything you want to know. But it's a lot when people come non-stop and want to do that. So I thought, you know what? I am going to monetize this and I'm going to create these classes. And when people call and say, hey, I want to come and talk barbecue with you, I say, well, here are the three dates you can come next year and do that. So since April of 2009, we've had over 1,200 people from 45 states and 16 countries who have come to learn about barbecue. And the, they've been so popular and they want more information. So we have a business of barbecue class then I created a catering masterclass, and then I created a whole hog extravaganza, which has a lot of visiting pitmasters as well. And it has, it has been so successful. We have incubated, or hell, I shouldn't say we have, we have helped incubate so many businesses, and a lot of people who you hear right now um, who are just, you know, growing and thriving in the profession of barbecue have come through our program at some time. So we're really proud of that. And we really, we show them behind the iron curtain. We teach them all the methods. We're not trying to teach a flavor profile, but we're trying to say, here's how we produce barbecue that tastes good, not only off the pit, but all day long during service. Here's how we hold it. Here's how we run our business. Here is like a very basic financial outlook for a restaurant. Here's like all your percentages you need to meet to be successful. Here's how we produce our food. All of our side dishes, here's how we keep things fresh. Here are our suppliers, call them up. You know, we really give a lot of information. Things that 
are impacting the way restaurants exist and may open in the future is obviously the environment and the, the way that we interact with the world around us, which is uh, raising the cost of meat quite a bit. And mm -hmm. also the world's getting hotter and people are reacting by maybe eating less meat. So although this might not happen in the next five <laughs> or 10 years, it, it might be a longer, slower build than that. I'm curious if you have thought about that a lot in terms of your business, about maybe people eating less meat and also um, the environmental impact of, uh, of what it's like to, to serve a lot of meat. Sure. I think about that all the time. And I think about it even just environmentally from no plastic straws to paper products instead of styrofoam products. Our meat is... Um, Her it's not heritage meat. It's half half heritage, if that makes sense to you. But we um, we re we source excellent meat. We source ex we have excellent side dishes. Uh, we have a lot of vegetarians who eat with us because they have some. There's things on the menu that they can eat. Mm -hmm. We are probably not going to go as far as having like barbecue jackfruit or something like that as a pulled pork substitute. But we have other things that people can order. I do think about this, but I also think anybody who has spent any time in the center of the country versus either coast, um, you, the, all the things that we hear about that are, I think, much more prevalent on the edges of the country and maybe not so much in middle America. We, are, we have plenty of meat eaters right now. Thank goodness. Definitely. Plenty, plenty, plenty of meat eaters. But that's not to say that we wouldn't pivot if we felt that need. What are some things that uh, that really excite you about uh, sort of the future of the industry? You've been involved so long in the barbecue world. Are you seeing maybe people integrating their own uh, flavors and sauces in a way that, that feels fresh? Is there, I guess, what have you seen that's new, that's happening, that's exciting you? Maybe not even stuff that 17th Street is doing that you're seeing that other people are bringing to the, to the world. Mm -hmm. Well, one thing about 17th Street is when you become a shrine or a more legendary, and I'm using air quotes around that, you can't change anything. So we could never change what we offer. If we could never change the flavor profile. We just don't have enough room to experiment. And because people who are coming to us are coming for one of three or four things, that's it. So I don't have enough people locally to even eat a special thing that I might make. But I look at a place like Home Team Barbecue here in Charleston, and I feel like that is a more chef-driven barbecue restaurant. Constantly um, different specials on the board, all incorporating barbecue and smoke, but just different ways of doing that. And I would love to be able to do something like that in my own place, but I always find that really fresh and exciting. I think there's a lot more maybe hybrid barbecue per se, but people who have a chef background, instead of just knowing how to cook great barbecue, um, they're able to really put a neat spin on things. Southern Soul Barbecue in St. Simon's Island, I think they do such a great job on that. And I love seeing places like Billy Durney um, at hometown where he has taken kind of some Brooklyn flavors and he, he makes these Korean sticky ribs that are amazing. So a totally different flavor profile for a baby back rib. As a business person who's been in your own family business and 
and working so diligently to, to help it grow. Uh, when people come to you and, and they have advice about maybe starting their, their own project beyond the, the incubator that you do, I'm sure people just hit you up all the time and ask for your advice. Um, how do you manage uh, a work-life balance between a 100-person barbecue empire and also finding time to do non-barbecue things that you may be interested in? Um, do you find yourself ever struggling to sort of press pause on the business and the family that are so intertwined and find time for yourself? Oh, uh, very much so. I, I think, you know, my children are grown and so they're, they're off and I'm not having the days that I had like very day-to-day childcare was, that was working around the clock when I'm trying to, you know, raise a family and do these other things. But that said, I'm still very much parenting and there are lots of phone calls happening. I, I think it, I think it's really hard. Um, I used to read all about that work-life balance, and I don't think that exists. I think if you are, if you have your own restaurant, you're just in it. And there are days when you're answering emails at midnight, or you're replying to tweets, or replying to Google reviews, the bane of our existence. One thing I've done two things that have really helped me in the past few months. I took Facebook off my phone, mm. and I took I did the same, and I took email <laughs> off my phone. Oh. So if aggressive, <laughs> that's tough. So what I did though, I mean, I sort of cheat, but in my, I have Bluetooth in my car. So I have an old iPhone in the car. If I really need to check, I can go look mm. at the email on that phone, but it really helps me when I'm home. I'm just not really looking at that. I do look at Instagram. That's sort of my guilty pleasure, but people are really nice there. They're not saying mean things. It's more of an escape. I like that strategy. I don't think I can go all the way and take email off my phone, but I am jealous that you've been able to, to do that. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Charleston. Since we're here, sure. it's a beautiful day. Uh, you're, you're down here, obviously, representing your restaurant. Have you had the opportunity to um, explore all the events? Are you, have you participated in, in some events? If you can talk about um, a little bit about what you've had fun doing in the last couple days as you've been down here. Sure. Charleston is my absolute favorite wine and food festival. I think this team is tremendous. The programming is always unique. It's always pushing the envelope and I just have the best time here. And not only is the festival so great and the people who run it so awesome, but the people who attend these events are the nicest. Every time we're here, people are coming up and saying, thank you for being here. It's just such a big, gracious, like it's a warm welcome hug that you get from this city. And I love that. I participated in the Night Bazaar on Thursday night. And I have to say, in the midst of all these torrential downpours, that team pulled it together like you cannot believe. Everyone was happy. I mean, they just, you would never know that it was flooding everywhere. We had the best time and, and the people who came out, you know, the, the rain did not dampen anything. Mm. Tonight I am doing the black tie barbecue. So we're working on that. Um, Lewis barbecue. Has, what are you serving? We are serving um, grits and greens parfaits with little burnt ends on the top of it. Yum. They're going to be delicious. So something a little bit different. Um, we had to kick it up a notch, you know, whatever black tie means, right? That sounds delicious. Honestly, this interview has made me extremely hungry. <laughs> I wish you'd come. I really come love barbecue. I really lived, wish I lived closer to 17th Street. Um, 
I think that everyone who is into barbecue needs to make a pilgrimage to the Mecca in southern Illinois. Um, if people are uh, hoping to come down, can you tell us what's the website, what's the Instagram so that sure. people can find you and, and make their way down to visit you? Our website is 17bbq.com, and our Instagram is at 17th Street, street spelled out, BBQ. Awesome. Amy, thank you so much for joining me and, uh, and talking about your business and, and your family and everything that you're doing in the next couple months, the next <laughs> couple years. It sounds like you've got a lot going on, and we're going to obviously keep a close eye on what you're working on, and we'd love for you to um, come chat with us again next time you're in New York and fill us in on all the new initiatives that you're building down um, at 17th Street. Well, thank you. We would love that, and we'd love to invite you to visit us anytime. Maybe you'll come for our big ribbon cutting. Ooh. Ooh, that sounds fun. Uh, thanks again for everyone who's been listening. Uh, Charleston Wine and Food, we thank you so much for having us down here for the fifth year in a row. Of course, we appreciate everyone who's tuning in. We are going to be back tomorrow with more content at 12 noon. Uh, this is the end of the Saturday Heritage Radio Network telecast. Uh, we are obviously live, and you can find all of this and all the rest of our content on heritageradionetwork.org. This is Eli Sussman from The Line signing off on Saturday. Thanks so much, everybody. We'll see you tomorrow. This program is powered by Simplecast. 